Welcome to Final Fantasy Weekly. I'm Drew Kreisman. And I'm Ira Kreisman. And on this episode, we continue our conversation on Final Fantasy Tactics, the War of the Lions version in particular. And we are at the beginning of Chapter 4. So, in the name of love, which is an interesting name, given given all the other ones have been like the manipulative and the subservient and the meager and stuff. All of a sudden, we've got Chapter 4, in the name of love. Well, it does sort of... Uh... You know, it, it draws a stark contrast, right? So maybe that's part of part of the point. All the rest of this has been for power and manipulation, and I'm gonna rule over the ashes, as they say. But I mean, Ramza's motivation here really is to rescue his sister. Yeah. And so when last we left our heroes, uh, chapter three concluded with speaking of love, the love between a brother and a sister finally overcoming with the little help of some magic stones as the Galthanian, Galthanian, I'm trying, Garli, Garli, they gave us the name of it. Look, there's a lot of proper nouns in this. There uh, is, man. The mages, Rafa and Marak, who had clearly been having a very rough life, uh, were finally able to throw off their abusive adoptive father, watch him get randomly murdered by somebody else, <laughs> which was pretty cool. And then Marak, after having been shot to death by that duke, is brought back to life by the combination, it would seem, of one of the Orosite stones that we have, of the Zodiacs, and Rafa's grief in general, as opposed to the type of emotions that were giving evil, bestial form to these stones from others, Rafa's purity, it would seem, uh, brought her brother back to life. And then they had a conversation about the stones apparently being user-based, and we pick up chapter four with a little scene here uh, with the three of them figuring out what they need to do next, right? So they recognize that Alma, Ramza's sister, who they came to rescue, isn't there. And Marak is certain, having just sort of been working with some of these people under their manipulation, but still, that they must have taken her elsewhere. And he says that there were three men from the Knights Templar that arrived not long after you. He says, three and no more. I like that Marak is particular in his observation here. I, I just love it when they do that, those little things. And that means that they can logic their way into some answers here. Mark says they had her in the castle. I'm sure of that. So three came. And Ramza says, okay, one of them became a Lukavi. I killed him myself. That's why Graf, who became Belias the Gigas, right? He says another, Isolud, was slain in the melee. This third must have taken Alma. And Mark concludes that no doubt that means they must bring her, they mean to bring her to Melande, which is the capital of the church, basically, right? There are three different capitals. Right. <laughs> Man, the north, politics the south, in this kingdom church. is just not to mention the the giant corporation trading company they had to deal with. Also, this grand duke in his fortress. There's a lot of seats of political power here. Yes, there are. There's a great line when everyone starts declaring themselves kings in Game of Thrones, and I believe it's Catelyn Stark says, "There's a king in every corner now." It's like, yeah. They just keep, and this is Dukes, but still. And then Ramza starts to wonder whether or not the High Confessor knows the true power of the stones. He, he says, no, don't get me wrong. It's his plot to put Larg and Goltana against each other and, you know, do all of the, the fighting. But he only sees the stones as a symbol of their power to the people. He thinks if he has all the stones, once all of this fighting has just depleted everyone, he can rise to prominence and so he's thinking of it in a very worldly political power idea, right? Where Ramza right, is going. The, go so it's sort of the uh, the soft power versus military power, right? It's not necessarily blue jeans and rock and roll, but it's it's the power uh, that the people, the, the belief that the people have in this legend. And if we, if the legend supports me, like if King Arthur 
supports me, well, then obviously I should be president or whatever. Right. And so Ramza starts to then wonder, talking about seats of power, that maybe even the high confessor is being manipulated because there are those who know that these stones wield or, or contain a an immense power and potentially immense evil, if we want to call it that. Certainly, you know, the Lukavi that we've slain thus far feel pretty demonic and evil, right? And so Marek says, so there's somebody else manipulating the high confessor? And Ramza just nods his head, thinking now. And Rafa interjects into the conversation with exactly the right question at exactly the right time, saying, this third man in the Templarit's party, who is he? Marek says, I cannot say for sure, but I believe it was Lord Falmarv, commander of the Knights Templar. And remember, without seeing it, we're pretty certain he transformed into a Lukavi, murdered his son, and everybody else generally around, and bounced. <laughs> and Ramza says to Rafa, you're right, he is the key. Mark says, so what will you do? And Ramza says, I will travel to Zeltenia. Delita is there. I must see him. I'm going to seek out a friend, one of the very few people in this world that I know that I can talk to about all of this stuff. And there's enough new information that I gotta talk to my guy. And Marek reminds us that it is Delita who succeeded Baron Grimm's in leading the Blackroom Knights. And so he's supposedly working underneath the High Confessor. Con con confessor. The High You know, confessor. the Confessor. That's, yeah. that's uh, from that Dr. Seuss book. Confessor. Oh boy. And then Ramza has this really interesting line. He says, The Church and the Knights Templar manipulate Delita from behind the scenes. With luck, he can shed some light on who this Lord Falmarv is and what he wants. Oh, Ramza. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're close. It's Well, and it's not a bad guess. Based upon what Ramza knows of Delita, having yeah. grown up together, sure, Delita's not a bad guy. He, right. he is he's working for the good of all people as am I we might be you know leading different groups but sure like there's no way that Delita is in on all this not a chance right, right. I must seek out my friend so he does before we cut to the next scene uh, let's head to the tavern and hear some rumors the first one I want to read I probably should have read last time before we went to uh, Grand Duke Barrington's Rio veins. <laughs> Whatever, give us added perspective now, it's fine. Right, right. The Marquis Elmder de Limberry, dubbed the Silver Prince by his friends and Silver Demon by his foes, was slain by a stray arrow in battle on the Fusay Plains. Despite his noble title, he was a popular figure amongst the common people and a devout member of the Church of Globidos. A steady stream of mourners pay respects at his grave. He was a steadfast general of Duke Goltana's, and it seems a certainty that his death will affect the war. Now, now the trick here is that uh, this rumor came about. You could have read this rumor before we ran into the Marquis Elmdor at Rio Vane's castle. So he right. was slain, and then he shows up. What happened? I don't know. Do we know anybody else who's been so far injured that uh, they came back somehow? Right. So, so we already know from our last episode, when we run into Elmdor, he is, he's with Fulmarv and he's one of the Lukavi. So you, you can get, I, there's another something you can read somewhere that explains that because he held the Gemini stone uh, when he was killed on the battlefield, his body was spared and, and the, uh, the Lukavi took over. So, so that's what happened there. Also, those are really fantastic nicknames. The Silver Prince and the Silver Demon. Like, awesome. Having apparently lost patience with the long stalemate, Duke Larg's troops have at last taken action. The Order of the Northern Sky, along with most of the soldiers on the front lines, have marched on Fort Besselet. Besselet is an indispensable strong point in the battle against Zeltenia, and capturing it 
would give Duke Larg's forces access to Limberry's abundant food supply. This battle could well be the key to victory. So, so again, we read that rumor four or five episodes back now about flood and drought and, and plague, and nobody's got resources, right? Like it's just getting worse and worse, just as rumors of the otherworldly fiend that attacked Lionel Castle begin to die. Another is now said to have appeared at Rio Veins, the residence of Grand Duke Barrington. More than 500 men lost their lives in the ensuing battle. No witnesses survived, and there are no clues as to what occurred. Those who have seen the aftermath say they will never forget the scores of corpses, some with their heads crushed like melons. Ugh. So that's the, that's the fight we just had, right? That's the fight with Wygraf and Fulmarv and Islud and the Bar- Grand Duke Barrington atop the castle and, and the yeah. Marcos Elmdor. So, I mean, you, you mentioned how graphic it is, even in those old PS1 uh, graphics, yeah. so to speak. Um, right, <laughs> right. With coughing up blood and blood on the walls and pools of blood here and there. If it ever got the full remake treatment, I imagine this would be... Oh, boy, yeah. They, w- they would need to be judicious in what they showed us, right? Or, or maybe yeah. there would be a, a disclaimer somewhere, because apparently it was really awful. Yeah. Marak even remarked, I didn't read it, but on just having never seen that kind of grotesqueness before so many corpses he's talking about yeah so when our heroes are having that conversation it's among just absolute destruction that's unfathomable almost yes also i want to make a a language critique here i've never understood the phrase crushed like melons who's crushing melons that's not yeah. how you eat a melon. You cut it open <laughs> and you scoop it out. Don't crush your melons. <laughs> Stop it, you melon crushers. <laughs> so we're going to come back to the pub because, again, there was a lot of awfulness and going to need uh, a drink here in a little bit. But let's scene transition real quickly to Zeltenia Castle, the seat of power in the south, where... We are getting a follow-up conversation. If you'll recall when we had met the young man Oran out in the wilderness a couple of times and he and Ramza sort of became quick friends, I think, uh, sort of recognizing something in each other. And Oran has returned to try to speak with his father uh, about the deeper plot going on here as, as he and Ramza and perhaps Delita seem to be the young people out there in the world trying to untangle this knot of the war that came before them and the war that's going on now and and all of the political stuff, right? And so after, you know, pleasantries of welcoming each other, because remember Orlando is Oran's adoptive father, actual father? Everyone, adoptive father. It, it is adoptive, yeah. Uh, you know, very, very quickly... We get into what news of the war and Orlando, of course, says none good. As you well know, war is a dirty enough affair, he says, when you know who your enemies are. But this, ha, uh, he says, would my good name were our only casualty. Uh, so apparently the thunder god Sid has has taken a hit in the reputation department, I guess because he hasn't won the war and they're at a stalemate and everyone is starving. Well, and the nobles all think he's a coward because he won't just crush his enemies like melons, I guess. <laughs> right. Not into the whole melon crusher situation. And Oran says, you know, I should think Duke Goltana's name in greater peril. They say his other lord's bannermen remain here only because you do. So Oran, you know, is getting right into like, are we sure we want to keep doing this? Are we on the right side? Like that's... Oh, that's kind of treason, what he just did. Yeah, well, and he, I mean, he's honoring Ramza's request, right? He said, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to dad about this. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of doing it in a roundabout way. But yeah, you're right. This is dangerous talk. And Orlando chastises him for it. Leave such foolish talk to fools. When a member of House Orlando pledges his lord fealty, he honors that oath, though it cost him his life. 
which is, man, this is difficult and frustrating and wonderful and amazing and difficult (laughs) because in this world where everyone is backstabbing everybody else all the time, there is something to that loyalty of house name, house Orlando. It means my father and my grandfather and all of those before him. And and when we swear our oath, we honor that oath and we do not break that oath. And like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah. You do the second half. (laughs) (laughs) But if, if the people to whom you gave your oath are not honoring their oaths to, for example, take care of the common folk, keep bridges, tunnels, roads working, make sure everyone's got enough to eat, not always murdering the the peasants for being peasants. Like, it's important to keep one's oath, but it's also important to keep the government functioning. I mean... The, the war is not helping anybody, and he knows that. The war is making right. things actively worse. There's wildfires. There's droughts. There's uh, too much rain. The crops are failing. There's going to be plague. There's going to be starvation. Right. Like, y- your oath means something, but their oaths have to mean something also. The social contract exists for all of us. Got a poll from Game of Thrones again. One of my favorite scenes in the entire run of the show comes when Jamie Lannister is sitting in a cage somewhere, just like in the absolute filth. And somebody, I think Catelyn Stark, says that, you know, he's a man of no honor or something like that. And he starts talking about honor and the oaths that he's sworn. And, you know, he's such a schmarmy. He's on the opposite end of the spectrum of his thinking about loyalty than Orlando is here, right? But he's making the counter argument. And he says, you know, there are so many. Honor your father, obey the king, protect the people. But what if the king massacres the people? What if your father despises the king? What if the people rise up again? You know, so it, it, it's just oath after oath after oath. And, and like you're pointing out, at some point, don't you have a responsibility to the people starving in the street? The people dying under your banner in, in the battles that you keep sending them off to that you know you can't win. But Oran, obeying the customs apologizes and says, I spoke over much. And then Orlando lets him off the hook, says, words are wind. And tells him, you know, now report your news. But Ira, and and we've talked about this before, like he just basically said customs, honor, tradition. Well, customs, honor, and tradition would dictate that you turn your son in for having just suggested that the Duke, essentially your king, is wrong. Yeah, I, I wonder if... So he's not going to obey that tradition for his kid. Right. And, and, and we've talked about how the, uh, the people manipulating Ovelia understand that she's not... You know, th- they're using that she is not actually who she thinks she is or was not born as she thinks she is. Mm-hmm. to manipulate her into doing what they want and that the, the royal line means so very much that we have to protect it and everyone has to listen to whomever is the scion of it, except, of course, that it doesn't matter at all because we're going to put this false Ovidia <laughs> on the throne. <laughs> right. So I, I wonder if it... I think it might be partially that. Like, he knows what he can bend and what he can't, but also maybe just a warning. Like, look, Oran... I understand what you're saying, but you got to be careful what words you say out loud. Yeah. So Oran gets back to the report, the matter at hand, says the crystal discovered beneath Gog, the stone the late cardinal found in the ruins of Zeltenia, both orosite for true. By all accounts, the Knights Templar at two are passing busy, though the object of their labors I cannot say. Well, both of your news have to do with each other there, Oran. <laughs> <laughs> the stones, yeah. And then Orlando asks, what about your ears in Milande? He says, they hear, but dead men tell no tales, he says. Brutal. So, yeah. essentially, I sent spies to Milande, and none. they're all dead now. So, the church, you know, 
apparently found them. And he says, if only we had some evidence of the High Confessor's plot, we might be able to compel a peace. And then, you know, Orlando starts pacing and pulls out a stone and, you know, thinking and stroking his beard, presumably. (laughs) Yes, yes. Very contemplative scene. Mm -hmm. Orlando says, this, referring to the stone, shall not long remain hidden from their gaze. And then the storm will be upon us. So Orlando's got one, huh? Yeah. On the road to meet up with Delita, back with Ramza and a growing company of heroes, which we're going to get back to in a minute. This is starting to get to the part of the Final Fantasy game where things really open up and become a bit more, um, well, open. (laughs) And uh, the party grows immensely at this point, too. It reminds me a lot of the second half of Final Fantasy VI, where you go around and collect all the characters again and and in this one it's a lot of them for the first time but like Rafa and Mark have just joined the party right so they're along you've got Agrius and Mustadio and Luso from not too long ago if you're playing the (laughs) War of the Lions version and along the road we are accosted as often happens in this world by another Knight Templar this one a woman who yells at Ramza immediately, you slew my brother. So Ramza, you know, has been in this situation before. Wait, what? Yeah. Your brother? Who? What? Damn it. That's, that is an unfortunate situation to have been in before, but because Ramza's killed a lot of people at this point. Yeah. Lots and lots of enemy soldiers and enemy brigands and enemies who maybe shouldn't have been enemies. and Right. Like the, for, for not wanting to fight, well, we made this comparison last time to Wolverine, right? He's really good at doing this one thing. Right. So she says, do not play games with me. I am Duel Tangil. I took a swing at it. Yeah. The that's, last uh, name. Uh, yeah. Ten, yeah. Tangil seems fine. Okay. Miladul Tangil. It's a great name. She says, you killed my brother Isolute at Rio Veins. And now you will die, not by any order of his holiness. I do this for Isolude. I love that because we get a bunch of information there. One, now we know who this is. Two, we know that while we have fought Isolude before, did not kill him. So, hey, neat. Because, you know, before, last time we were when it was Wygraf, he was like, you killed my sister Maluda. We, we were like, oh, yeah, we did. Yeah, totally I, did I actually did. Yeah. yeah. So in this one, at least there's deniability here. Um and she lets us know that like she is not here on behalf of the church like, right she's which is good <laughs> which is great right. news actually <laughs> yeah that that's fantastic it also lets us know that she does not know the full story she doesn't know what her father is up to she doesn't know that her father's been taken over by the lukavi also right. the rumors getting around like the rumor i just read about what happened at rio veins was nobody knows what happened but uh mila here does know a little bit of what happened knows that ramza and his crew were there what's amazing about that too is that ramza was there and he doesn't know everything that happened as he's about to showcase because he you know again during final fantasy tactics the characters argue with each other during battle so as they're fighting he says you say that isalud was your brother and i am not your brother's killer do you know what happened at Rio Veins? The murder done there was not by the hand of any man. An abomination. A Lukavi killed your brother. Which Ramza didn't see firsthand, but is pretty sure is true. Because we saw the aftermath of it. And it is. What he doesn't know is that that Lukavi was her father. Fulmarv, who we're trying to seek more information about. right? So Melia Duel says, a Lukavi. So the Lukavi walk again amongst us, huh? Killing for their own delight? Ha! A splendid tale, but a lie less fanciful might better persuade. It would be difficult. Like, like, it wasn't me, it was the demon beast from a thousand years ago is is a tough defense to just 
immediately accept, I suppose. So Ramza, still pleading with her, says, They keep the truth from you as they did your brother. You are puppets dancing on strings that you can or will not see. The zodiac stones are much more than holy crystals to be revered. They hold real power, the power to work wonders, a power in itself neither good nor evil, but the purpose your masters would put it to is plain enough. Open your eyes, Melia Duel. Let Fulmarv deceive you no longer. I, I think it's interesting. I think Ramza is all in on rejecting the church and probably religion altogether because he says they are much more than holy crystals to be revered. They hold real power. Which is a little, yeah. a little rude. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've said before that I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm an atheist. I don't, I don't believe in. But that's that's not something you say to somebody who who believes in a religion, who who has true <laughs> faith. Uh, good point. Good point. I hadn't, hadn't thought of it quite like that, but you're right. Totally does kind of undercut the the belief system more for the like. No, but they have magic. <laughs> right. And, and I like what you pointed out, that Ramza has got a pretty good idea of what happened, but he doesn't know what we know even, right? That's that's the literal definition of dramatic irony, which is right. really cool. I like that they keep pulling this off. And then Melia Duel reveals that she's got some information he was going to need, because she says, you were a fool indeed. My father would never deceive me so. And Ramza goes, wait, 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 wait. Lord, Lord Fulmarf is your father? So, like, yeah, dude. You don't know everything either. Oh, man. In, in the age before the internet and cell phones and all of that. <laughs> not the, Of course, we have misinformation. but uh, So like has happened with many of the complicated people we've had to fight throughout the game before, Wygraf, Isolude, and others, at the end of this one, Melia Duel teleports away, commenting on Ramza's prowess in battle. And she says... Uh, when next we meet, your blood will soak the earth. And Ramza's like, yeah, like I've never heard that before. (laughs) So at this point, we'd like to do some of the side content in the game. Because one, this is when you can kind of branch out and do a lot more of it like I was talking about a lot of these Final Fantasy games two-thirds three-fourths of the way through really open up you can go exploring do some interesting things before you complete the game and so we figured now would be a good time to talk about some of these before we really start getting into the end game of the story here so we can focus on that in a straight line right so one of the really cool things you can do is pick back up on the Mustadio Besrudio ancient city of machines plot from a while ago. Remember, like all that stuff is kind of talked about and then just sort of dropped in favor of demons massacring castles and all of that. <laughs> so now we're at this uh, place where Ramza can go back to the clockwork city of Gog with Mustadio and Besrudio. And they come upon Besrudio, who has apparently discovered a device. It's kind of big, round, iron ball. <laughs> Just, yeah. They don't know what it is. You Absolutely. Know. Look at this Look at this neat thing I found in an abandoned city. Yeah. <laughs> cool. There's a lot of that. Didn't uh, I showed you some of that stuff in Horizon Forbidden West, right? With those right. guys. Yeah. yeah. Look at this cool thing. Like, oh, neat. And uh, Besrudio says, unearthed just as digging began on Tunnel 57. I thought to disassemble it, but I haven't the slightest inkling of how to begin. Mustadio says, an iron sphere. Curious. And as Ramza approaches it, a light emits from one of the Zodiac stones that he has, uh, as though it's sort of communicating or it's back and forth with the iron ball and everyone's like oh what was that <laughs> all the scientists in the room <laughs> oh that was interesting <laughs> uh, tried let's create a hypothesis and try it again <laughs> right and uh so they remark that it seems to be reacting to the aura site and Bezrudio notices that there is a most peculiar symbol written on the the side and you can actually see 
that it's the zodiac sign for Aquarius. And they just kind of leave us with that scene for now. We'll, we'll have to come back as Bezrudio will be left to his tinkering. And, and I really like that we're, we're hitting this theme again of magic being used as a power source, right? It's not just about uh, throwing fireballs at your enemies or, or healing wounds. It's also <laughs> right. about making machines and, uh, you know, clean water and, and that sort of thing. So right. we, we've seen this before in Final Fantasy. We'll see it again. I like it. It's a neat thing. So again, if you find yourself in the royal city of Lazalia, as we happen to now, because we're traveling around Ivalice in search of rumors and fine drink and interesting people, and we can find all of those when we come to the tavern in Lazalia. Uh, and uh, a scene will just sort of automatically play, and the tavern, ma- the tavern master, which is a great title, like, call me a bartender. I'm a tavern master, damn it. You know, there's the, hey, good day. Can I interest you in a drink? And Ramza orders milk. This is, I love this. This is hilarious. They <laughs> didn't need to Captain do that. America shit. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. He, he doesn't need the hard stuff because you know what? Life is hard enough. God. <laughs> Might be attacked at any moment, so I'm going to need to keep all my wits about me. Dude, if I lived in this world, I'd never be sober. I'd be... <laughs> Tyrion Lannister the whole time just and actually the tavern master comments on that he says you've seen your share of battle haven't you but most men who live that life come in seeking all sorts of spirits it drinks not you know <laughs> ghosts to fight gotta be gotta clarify in these worlds and then as Ramza is sitting at the bar with his milk and, and actually in this scene it's a really cool just still shot of the tavern like we've seen before but just populated by a lot of more interesting looking people just kind of bent over or the table or like leaning you know very casually talking shop and it's it just i love the way it's presented and so ramza starts eavesdropping on a monk and a squire having a conversation the monk says you mean to say that the stories were true there are monsters in gulland squire says hordes of them causing all sorts of trouble they had to close the mines monk says times as these knights are too busy slaying each other to deal with beasts i like that because i like the idea that knights in this world should be working to protect people from you know the the harsh dangerous monster-filled world out there and not killing each other right like the we, we are meant to band together to to scrape out a living on this pretty hostile planet and we can't get our shit together enough to to figure that out so i i think that's especially interesting because yeah. in the tactics advance games that's kind of the the purpose of uh the guilds and such is to band together to go on these missions not just to collect stuff not and not to kill the enemy but rather to protect people from the monsters right and then also, as we'll see in other iterations of Ivalice, the squire says the town has raised a call for hunters. So we see that as the sort of official knights of the land are all engaged in, as the last guy said, killing each other. They have to call upon hunters and warriors of light from around the world to come to their town and save them from the beasts. Right. And so the tavern master, who is eavesdropping on Ramza, eavesdropping on the conversation, says, You can swing a sword, aye? There's good coin to be had in this. And Ramza says, I care not for coin. I would go to aid the people in their plight. (laughs) With my milk. All right. I know. Come on, man. Like You know, he's feeling himself, and why not? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, (laughs) It it is a bit, I don't know, I, I feel like this scene sort of lays it on a little thick. But that doesn't mean I don't like it. No, it's it's great. And again, yeah, and the tavern master, speaking of laying it on a little thick, goes, Ah, man of honor, are we? Few enough of those these days. If only Lord Barbaneth were still alive, he'd do something about it. Like, all right. <laughs> Just happens <laughs> yeah. to shout out dad. It is great, though. They, they, I mean, he would be revered in this part of the world. And, you know, but like you said, little on the nose. But now Ram's is like, oh, man. My dad would do something, wouldn't he? (laughs) (laughs) So there's a little more back and forth between the monk and the squire. And the squire says, 
that the beast of legend is what is haunting Gulland, the holy dragon. The tavern master goes, all right, Ramza, you're getting in on that, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, yeah, yeah, at least if I know if the talk is true, tavern master gives him a, gods be with you then, sure. Yeah, which ones? Because lately religion's been in a tough <laughs> spot. Sure. And as Ramza begins to get up from his stool and head out with his head up high, assured of his incredible honor, a stupidly gorgeous man enters the room. (laughs) He's got the blonde, slick back hair, the long white cape, beautiful suit of armor that just charisma is dripping off of this guy. You wanna you wanna do a casting real quick? Who, who do you think's pretty enough to, to be this character? Hmm. Let me think. I don't know. I'm terrible at this sort of thing, which is why I put it on you. <laughs> I mean, he's not too far off of Brad Pitt's look as Achilles in Troy. If you just mm-hmm. wanted to kind mm-hmm. of cross apply something, right? I feel like he's a little gruffer than that. Is this version of spoilers Beowulf Uh, but yeah if you're gonna write a character of legend into your story you might as well have him walk into the room and immediately look like is that guy a character of legend (laughs) (laughs) that guy looks important how can you tell I don't know all of his very good looking and all of his stuff is shiny and clean (laughs) the light really is focused on him all of a sudden how did that happen It's like in Monty Python. He must be a king. Why? He hasn't got shit all over him. (laughs) And so he speaks, If you leave for the mines of Gulland, would you not hire my sword to accompany you? And Ramda says, I do not believe we've made acquaintance. (laughs) He says, I am Beowulf, a hunter. I pursue the holy dragon of which they speak. It has been my purpose for many a year. My knowledge of her would surely be a boon. What say you? And then you get to choose here. Either I've no need of hired steel, or how much gill does your blade require? And because you want the cool new friend to be on your team and come hang out with you and not just say, all right, bye, which which you can do. But... No, we're, I, I, again, am making the executive decision. We will ask how much his gill, his blade requires. And he says, we can speak of coin when the job is done. Come, let us make for Gulland. And Beowulf joins the party. It's interesting that they chose to name this character Beowulf, right? Like, they, they do this all the time. They borrow names, but don't necessarily uh, stick true to who that character is and whatever story or, or legend or whatever they're from, right? So Beowulf, uh, one of the oldest stories we have, specifically in English, I think. And he uh, slays Grendel's son. Jeez, it's been a long time since I either read or taught Beowulf, but he, he, he slays Grendel, then deals with Grendel's mom, who does not get a name because, you know, women were barely important in these stories, I guess. And then at the end is, uh, takes on the dragon and, and dies, because that's how legends like this work. So yeah, that Beowulf deals with the dragon, is is there and interesting uh but they they definitely put their own final fantasy spin on it right so we'll go off on this adventure and travel up to Gauland in order to seek the holy dragon and go on this adventure with beowulf and after several battles in Gauland, we get to we're in sort of a big room and maybe a church in a whatever <laughs> and we find the holy dragon surrounded by monsters and a demon called i'm gonna get close Seinug the arch arche demon the arch archeo the archeo demon there it is the archeo demon yeah. that's the goodness one. wow we're doing well we, sh- we should we should make a, a hobby of this he's put Seinug the Archeo Demon on my business card. (laughs) (laughs) And the demon says, What good to you this stone? Give it to me, and your life may yet buy you. Okay? 
we don't negotiate with the stones. We've already kind of, we're just going to beat you in battle. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden Beowulf cries out, Reese, Reese. I've always said Reese. I have too, but yeah. So we'll say Reese. At last I've found you. As I live and breathe, I will let no harm befall you. Which is like, oh, I thought we came here to kill the holy dragon. <laughs> it's like, oh no, we came to kill the demon and save the dragon? Yes, Twist. let's rescue the dragon. Let's do it. Hooray! I'm tired of the fantasy game making me kill the dragon. Let's hang out with the dragon. And so, after defeating the demons, Beowulf introduces Ramza to Reese, the dragon. He says, my thanks, Ramza. I could not have saved her without you. And Ramza says, well, I suppose we found the dragon you sought. And Beowulf says, a companion more dear to me than life itself. Mere words can be no fitting thanks. And then he hands Ramza the Aquarius Orosite. Awesome. We were, we were looking for that one. Hey, neat. Where'd you get it? You know what? No further questions. <laughs> Absolutely. And he even goes, but how? Let's just say I have my own debts to settle, as have you. All right, you mysterious charisma beacon. <laughs> Friend of, of holy dragons, fine, whatever. Right. Jo join the party. We'd be yeah. happy to have you. We'll drink milk together. And I love this part because Ram just, just goes, who, who are you? <laughs> like, what even is your deal, buddy? And Beowulf just, again, quicker than ever, just says, no enemy of yours. And Ramza goes, you know what? Fine. I have enemies enough. I would be glad to count you as a friend. So Beowulf and the dragon Reese join the party. And as you may have noticed, we mentioned a particular stone in there twice. So now that we have Aquarius, it's back to the clockwork city of Gog to check on Bezrudio. And show off the, the new stone that we've got. And it works. Mustadio says, you're right. It stirs. And suddenly, the big round iron ball, I don't know how else to say it, stands up. <laughs> it, uh, it transformers. Yeah, it transformers into a robot. It was a robot the whole time. I love Final Fantasy, man. You're going to put a robot in this game. Right, it's not it's not even behind the waterfall though. They they unearthed it from the ruins of the one place. Right. So at first it just stands there. But as they kind of begin to inspect it, it, it says initialization complete, all systems normal. What is your command, master? I'm like, wow. Um, okay. Apparently they were slave robots. <laughs> well, you know, drones. Yeah. And Mustadi was like, give it a command, Ramza. Give it a command. <laughs> I was like, no, you do it. You, man, you give it a command. You, you give it I'm not giving it a command. You command it. What are you talking about? They're doing this back and forth. <laughs> Actually, one of the very few funny scenes, legitimately, yes. purposely funny scenes that we have in the whole story. Yeah, it, it might be the only one, except maybe the milk <laughs> thing. Some of the side. So you remember yeah. in Final Fantasy VII where it's like, God, Cloud is such a closed off stoic, but then it's, that's Mosey and... Yeah. And yeah, right. I play the piano and I like dolphins and Right. <laughs> so if given the opportunity, Ramza might have been a bit more of a goof. And I, I kinda love that. Like where he can, when he can, he's not chopping heads off. Right. Uh so through it speaking again, like in the old RPG fashion, we learn that its name is in the War of the Lions version, Construct Eight. This is one of the I'll always think of him as Worker Eight. I don't do sure. too many original yeah. translation things, but Worker Eight is how I always thought of him. And Ramza can't think of anything. And he just yells out, um dance. <laughs> and Mustadio You goes, idiot. Jeez. What? He literally face palms. Mustadio does when he and then Worker Eight starts dancing in place. And they're like, oh my god, it's dancing. And then Mustadio wonders aloud, you know, I wonder how powerful this thing is. And Worker Eight says, I am very strong. <laughs> and then Ramza says, Well then dispose of Mustadio. And Mustadio goes, Oh, for the love of Ramza. <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe then, you should have given it a command, huh, Mustadio? Ha! Take that. 
This is a this is a mean prank, Ramza. It is a mean prank. And then it the camera starts to fade out as Worker Eight closes in on Mustadio, and Ramza goes, "Oh no, Phoenix down! Where's the Phoenix down?" Ah, <laughs> uh, thank you, Matsuno-san, because it's been a very dark, dark story. All right, our next optional sequence is similar to one we had earlier with Luso, where we get a character from a later Final Fantasy game put into this one on its re-release as War of the Lions. And again, it doesn't have a whole lot of impact moving forward. It just reminds us that Balthier from Final Fantasy XII is amazing. And speaking of charisma, <laughs> it's like, this, this guy rules. Uh, but... Like with Luso, we just kind of happen upon him in trouble, and everybody else in this game, for that matter. <laughs> Ramza has his superpower of happening upon people in trouble. And these guys seem to think that they've got... And we know he's Balthier. If we played Final Fantasy XII, if you don't, you just see a handsome-looking rogue character kind of hiding out as these two brigands, uh, you know, think they've got him trapped. And... Uh, you know, we, we, there's a little bit of chaos, and then we hear Balthier speak, and he says, Your mistakes were twofold, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness the leading man has finally arrived, you know? That's right. We needed the leading man to, to show up. And he says, You see, you sprung your trap without looking to see if the game you hunted was the one you'd snare, and you sold me short. I am no thief. <laughs> so, uh, and then... Um, uh, you, you know, then he kind of strikes his signature pose and goes, I'm a sky pirate. Yeah. <laughs> and a showman and the leading man. And says, now that we've dispensed with the pleasantries, tell me where I'll find the cachet of Glabados. Ramza says, the cachet of Glabados. Vasas <laughs> 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 das. And, and Balthier basically fought, fights these guys off and, and Ramza shows up and to help alongside during the battle. Ramza basically concludes that Balthier must be looking for the stones. He's a treasure hunter, right? And that's probably what he's after. And basically says, you know, you're better off not searching for the cache of Glavados, which is Orosite. You know, the road is fraught with dangers you cannot know. Balthier says, who do you think you're talking to? The leading <laughs> man never box at a little danger. Though... This does have more the feel of a cameo role, nonetheless. I have my reasons for seeking that particular treasure. I found it once, laid my hands on it. Look where it's gotten me. If I find it again, I can put things back as they were. And since you seem to know something about it, you've gained yourself another traveling companion. Not unlike uh, Kay Sis saying, you know what, I'm coming with you, whether you want me to or not. Th right. There is a way to do that, right? I do love that this is kind of a head fake too toward like, how did he get here? Like, oh, some sort of magical shenanigans. Maybe the fact that he laid his hands on a stone is, he says, look where it's gotten me. Does that mean, is that how he right. got here? Right. So. Balthier then says, not to worry. I have some experience in chaperoning children. <laughs> and Ron's like, I'm not a kid. Yes. They all say that, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> Ramza does his best to give him back a little bit. He says, yeah, you say you're a sky pirate. Would you have me believe that you can fly? I see no wings. Ooh. Yeah, well, no airships, right? Not yeah. in this game. And Balthier has the great line of, I seem to always find myself a pirate without a sky. <laughs> At this rate, I'm like to forget how to fly altogether. So that one kind of cut deep because he doesn't have a an airship. And there aren't any in this world. And so... Balthier is lost in a couple of different ways, despite him always seeming like he's two steps ahead of everybody. So uh, we can join Beowulf uh, on a, another little quest here. We learned that uh, there was a rival mage of sorts uh, who, who hated Beowulf and cast a, a curse upon him. But uh, Reese, this dragon, in a selfless act of love, jumped in the way and got hit by the curse instead and that's why reese is now a dragon 
we we've, we come to find out that the uh, the curse can be lifted by the cancer zone. Oh, there's a fight here with Worker 7. Right. So that's where this, or Construct 7, excuse me. So that's where <laughs> sure. uh, we, we get to know that, yeah, more and more of this is being unearthed. But but once you defeat the enemies in here, Reese is able to, to break the curse and comes out as a woman. And so now uh, y- you maintain her as a character in your party. Uh, and she maintains some of her dragon abilities. So I, it's interesting, I think, in Final Fantasy IX especially, uh, the Dragoon gets a couple of abilities named after Reese. So this is a, you know, the holy dragon who, who uh, saved her beloved uh, and then was returned to human form persists throughout the games, and I kind of like that. And another reminder of the title of the chapter of this part of the story, In the Name of Love. Absolutely. And and Roms is getting uh, rewarded more and more for having helped people he's only just met. Right, right. <laughs> it's paying off now. So it's back to the clockwork city of Gog to tinker with things, because now we have more stones and more friends, and Mustadio and Ramza are just almost literally playing with fire. <laughs> and Mustadio says, you don't suppose this one will metamorphosize as well, do you? you know, <laughs> so it's, what, do we, what do we think happens now? Get, get another transformer. <laughs> walk up to another machine that they've discovered and start waving stones at it, you know? <laughs> Okay, and it begins to react, and they go, oh, lightning strike, and whir, 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 and big loud noises, and in an instant, a person appears and falls to the floor, and if you've never seen this person before, it just looks like a weird-ass person, and if you have seen this person before, (laughs) he's got the spiky blonde hair, the sword, it's a cloud it is. They put Cloud in this game, man. They put Cloud Strife, the main character of Final Fantasy VII, in this game. And I think actually the more we go back through this, and as we're doing these in order now, I'm starting to realize that, yes, Ivalice is very much a place that people get transported to when they exit their own dimension. <laughs> like Balthier, Cloud, Beowulf... He, Beowulf might be from this world, but I don't know. I don't. I don't know either. It's. It's not clear, and I. I think that's fine, right? Like, you know, is Luso the Luso from Tactics Advance, or is he this world's version of it? Balthier uh, clearly is unstuck uh, from his place, it would seem, and 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 is this meant to be the cloud of Final Fantasy VII? Did he, when he fell on the live stream, did he end up in Ivalis? Maybe. I, I'm not sure he would remember. You know, I'm not sure he would know. Right. Or think more of it than, I had this weird dream about this medieval land when I was out, you know. Right, right. And he remembers his name. Here, at least, he knows his name. Back with Tifa, uh, you know, on the planet of Gaia, even that much is is, uh, asking a lot from him, right? Right. So, you know, it's... This game is about a lot of things. It's kind of about the War of the Lions, but really it's about Ramza and him trying to protect the people... He loves his friends and his family the best that he can. Uh, and so that cloud is here, and that's really kind of his goal too. Like, oh my gosh, look at these people who think they're my friends. I don't care, except I really, really do. Yeah. So yeah, I like that he's here, even if it's just, as Balthier said, a cameo appearance. <laughs> right, exactly. And Cloud does say, you know, he goes, what is this place? What's going on? And, and then he has this line where, and I think this is from the War of the Lions version to give credence to the most common theory, which is what you said, that this takes place during his time in the live stream. He says, I remember being swallowed by a current, uh, a great stream. And then, you know, to these people, they would think, oh, he fell in a river and hit his head and lost his mind or whatever but it's like no i got sucked into the life stream and showed up in ivalice you guys this is wild <laughs> just wait till dissidia happens yeah right it's gonna get the interdimensional stuff's gonna go crazy and Besrudio actually remembers reading something in a volume in that they found from these ancient texts something called a transporter so maybe a device for teleportation across dimensions across the very fabric of time and space Cool. <laughs> Chrono Trigger reference. Yeah. Maybe. Basically. 
Bezrudio says, I mean, look at the way he's dressed. He ha I mean, this is a weirdo. He's got to be from another dimension. And then Cloud comes to, remembers his name, all of that. You know, I'm Cloud. I'm Ramza of House Bail. Cool. <laughs> Whatever. So Cloud, in a very Cloud-like fashion, isn't paying attention to any of these people, doesn't care about the introductions, and just starts wandering and started just wandering off basically and saying I, I, I got this weird feeling in my fingertips and it's man it's really hot here and stop sephiroth no and they're like what huh <laughs> <laughs> like uh we got to get away from this guy mysterio says he is not stable and cloud just muttering a bunch of nonsense bounds out the door and you're just like uh okay this, this would have been the perfect spot for another Xenogears reference. Right? Xenogears! <laughs> he leaves. What? <laughs> it's too many crossovers. <laughs> and so the gang kind of runs after him. I mean, you can choose not to. You could actually leave it there and never do the <laughs> second part right. of this. But you, we pursue Cloud. And we find him on the streets of, I'm going to say, Salgidos. Kind of a small town outside of Gog. And he's just wandering the streets when he happens into a familiar face. Now, I, I have to assume that she's she's not who we think she is. She's not who she looks like. She's not displaced by the time, the, the, the live stream, right? Well, they do call her Aerith. Oh, man. So is this Ivalis's version of Aerith? Or does Aerith exist... It in multiple dimensions she a nexus being yeah th this is the one it's it, like this is harder to explain right though she would have been in the live stream by this point as well i suppose um yeah how she would have gotten there is a little bit well shakier you know, than the cloud excuse i guess if, if we assume that she is you know in the live stream and and we know now that she exists in more than one dimension and more than one version of events if you were Aerith and you saw Cloud fall into the live stream because that's where your consciousness was at the moment and you saw him go to the war-torn land of Ivalis, would you not maybe step in there with him briefly to Sure, to try lend to help him out a little. Yeah. And so they reenact the famous scene from Seven where she offers to sell Cloud a flower for a gill and... He's just kind of like, what is going on? She says, is there something wrong? You know, do I look like someone familiar? Cloud says, no, never mind. And then they are accosted by ruffians. Well, Cloud what knows what to do with ruffians. Yeah, he's, yeah. And this is when they name her. He says, we've been searching for you, Aerith. Thought you'd kick away, huh? Oh, hawking flowers again, huh? I see. Always working so hard for your mom. Oh, which one? Uh, you know, again, we're just getting <laughs> shout-outs here. Elmira's here, too. Yeah, yeah, like, is the whole gang here? Is this alternate dimension stuff? But yeah, this is this is trippy as hell. Uh, and then I have no idea what this is about. She says, please, ten more days. Even just a week is all I need. Which, again, makes it seem more like she's an Aerith who grew up in this world. Or maybe there's multiple versions of Aerith. Like, if this is so trippy, this is so trippy. <laughs> right. And then they make it clear, like, she's passed on due payments and stuff. So here's the arm of capitalism. They can't, Even in a different dimension, they can't escape the arm of capitalism coming after the poor people. And, you know, Cloud's not going to have that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was a big part of that game, right? Oh, oh, you're Shinra, huh? Come yeah. here. I want to have a conversation. Yeah. I mean, gets his Charlton Heston moment here. <laughs> Get your filthy hands off of her. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's a, a fight and they run off and then they fight and they run off. And uh, Ramza and crew arrive and, and help with the fight. And then after the brigands have been dealt with, Cloud says to Ramza, I've lost something. Something very important. I've not been myself ever since... Who... Who am I now? What should I do? How... 
How can I stop this pain? And Ramza says, Cloud, there are people waiting for you back in your world. Am I not right? With the power of another stone, we may be able to return you there. Or maybe if Tifa can put your memories back together or whatever. There's going to be a lot of moving parts here. Right. And Cloud says, let's go, Ramza. I can't stay here. I have to get there to the promised land.